become a nightmare Signs of the time are on cardboard on corners in town Like a cancer that's silently spreading There's an unspoken fear We're on our way down We must eat America back Main Street to Wall Street Cities and states Washington, D.C. Before it's too late, there's not long We need leaders who lead us Not stick us and bleed us Then ransom our future And our children's, that's wrong Ah, welcome back, we folks to the rebel and the renegades and we're one renegade short but uh that doesn't make any difference because the ones we got are quite formidable i've got two great renegades here but i also wanted to read uh what uh, this uh gentleman uh steiner who was the head of the sanitary corps which was the hospital corps what he had to say in an official document, again, this is in the National Archives, people. You can get all of these silly people to say, well, there wasn't anybody, any blacks in the Confederate Army. That's a big lie. Well, here's official document. Wednesday, September the 10th, at 4 o'clock this morning, the rebel army began to move from our town. Jackson's force taking the advance. The movement continued until 8 o'clock p.m., occupying 16 hours. The most liberal calculation which I could give them was more than 64,000 men. Over 3,000 Negroes must be included in this number. These men were clad in all kinds of uniforms, not only in cast-off or captured United States uniforms, but in coats with southern buttons, state buttons, etc. These were shabby, but not shabbier or seedier than those worn by white men in the same ranks. Most of the Negroes had arms, rifles, muskets, sabers, bowie knives, dirks, etc. They were supplied in many instances with knapsacks, haversacks, canteens, etc., and they were manifestly an integral portion of the Southern Confederacy Army. They were seen riding on horses and mules, driving wagons, riding on caissons, in ambulances with the staff of generals and promiscuously mixed up with all of that rebel horde. Again, folks, that can be found a report of Lewis H. Steiner in New York, and that can be found in the official records War of the Rebellion, Volume 8, pages 10 through 11. Anyone can Google Steiner's report and read it for themselves. It's usually in PDF format. Perhaps it's still there. I'm not sure. Some critics argue that Steiner was wrong about the total number of troops in Lee's army. Steiner put the number at about 72,000, and he said he saw about 64,000 on September the 10th and another 8,000 the next day. For one thing, it's hard to estimate the size of a group of that numbers move, taking that long to go by. It has to be an estimation. But whereas it's a lot easier to estimate the size of a group that's only a few thousand in number, even assuming that Steiner was off by half, that would still mean he saw around 1,500 black soldiers in Jackson's army. 
However, there is evidence that Steiner was not wrong about the size of Lee's army. Uh, see, for example, a report by Joseph Harsh uh, called Taken at the Flood, Robert E. Lee and the Confederate Strategy in the Maryland Campaign of 1862, published by Kent State University. Don't believe that's in the South. And the title is In Defense of McClellan at Antietam, the Washington Post, September the 7th, 2012. It's mentioned. So Steiner may indeed have seen 3,000 blacks or more in Jackson's force alone. It should not be surprising that Stonewall Jackson would have had blacks fighting in his army. Jackson was known for his respectful, courteous treatment of slaves and free blacks alike. Before the law, before the war, Jackson was actually breaking the law in his church because he had set up a Sunday school class to teach blacks how to read, which was against the law in Virginia at the time. <clears throat> Pardon me. During the war, Jackson continued to send money back to his church to help fund the church's black Sunday school class, and Jackson was heard to voice the hope that slavery would soon be abolished. Now, I'm going to jump into this one, then I want to get my uh, co-host uh, comments here. Here's one from Union Colonel, yeah, you know, a Yankee, Peter Allabach, who was commander of the 2nd Brigade of the 131st Pennsylvania Infantry, and he reported that his forces encountered black Confederate soldiers at the Battle of Chancellorsville. And here is his official report, and I quote, under this disposition of my command, I lay until 11 o'clock when I received orders from you, he sent it to his commanding general, to throw the two left regiments perpendicular to the road and to advance in line of battle with skirmishers in front as far as to the edge of the wood boarding near the chancellor house. This movement was explained to me as intended to hold the enemy in check long enough for the Corps of Major Generals Couch and Daniel Sickles to get into another position and not to bring on any action if it could be avoided. And should the enemy advance in force to fall back slowly until I arrived on the edge of the wood, there to mass a column and double quick to the rear that the artillery might fire into this wood. I was instructed that I was to consider myself under the command of Major General Couch. In obedience to these orders, at about 11 o'clock, I advanced with these two regiments forward through the woods under a severe fire of shell, grape, and canister. I encountered their skirmishers when near the farther edge of the wood. Allow me to state that the skirmishers of the enemy were Negroes. <clears throat> Pardon me. That comes from a report of Colonel Peter H. Allabach, as I said before, 131st Pennsylvania, and you can find that in the Official Records of the Rebe Rebellion, Volume 25, in two parts. And that would be Chapter 37, Part 1, and Chapter 38, Part 3. On pages 255 is the beginning. So Stonewall Jackson's army played a major role in the Battle of Chancellorsville. The black Confederate soldiers whom Colonel Allabach saw, there may have been some of the same black Confederate soldiers whom Dr. Steiner had seen in Jackson's army in Maryland. Richard, your thoughts, please, sir? Uh, are, you, are you trying to do uh, harm to and undo all of the 
progress the corporate media made with the Charlottesville setup? I mean, why do you hate the union so much, Mike? Why do you hate the Federalists so much? You dare to bring facts and truth into this debate when you know this is about the optics that the establishment wants to keep solidified, not at all about what actually happened. But no, this is fascinating. Uh, I mean, yeah, I, I can't think of anyone I know pretty much who wouldn't be uh, surprised to find out, you know, we've had such a large amount of blacks that were fighting on behalf of the Confederacy. Well, Richard, uh, thank you for the comment. And let me assure you, I don't hate the North. I don't hate the government. I hate what they do. And I hate what they have done. I try to avoid hating other people as much as I can. But uh, I got to tell you, it's like my grandpappy taught me. There's some of them just uh, sure deserve it. Uh, your thoughts, Stephen? Yeah, that's true, Mike. I, I try my best not to as well. I try to see other people, everybody else is a human being going through what they're going through, too. And, and you know, first do no harm. That's the thing I try to think of, too. Uh, but, yeah, this this whole thing we've been taught so much of a lie. It, uh, it, the things people might be surprised if they knew that the conditions for the people in the South, black and white, after reconstruction with sharecropping the sharecropping uh, uh deal conditions were worse than they were for the slaves in many cases you know oh yes this was just you know it just this not only was this war unnecessary in terms of slavery ending but the confederacy had a much the people in the confederacy like jefferson davis i was just looking at the he 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 was I had was standing up for. I was reading some of the things that he had to say about it too, and and it just people look at it with the wrong point of view, and from this twenty first century point of view, and from their superior moral viewpoint, we've got now. You know how we're so much better, so much more learn, advanced. I guess is the word I'm looking for. Like they, we think we're so much more evolved or advanced than those people are because our technology is more advanced. But that's not necessarily the case. I think. I think that it takes a – you have to go back and try to look at things through their eyes and think about, well, you know, it, it, if you were in that situation, you would see it in the way they did. And we look at it differently now, and we've been so influenced by them. Yeah, I just – I love seeing that big flag, that, that Confederate flag, that, 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 that St. Andrew's cross there. I, I like that because I just see things completely differently now, and I'm afraid that things are about to – ramp up with this empire once again you know i do i think that things that, that they could ramp up again in the next couple of years i don't know exactly oh, i agree how, yeah i yes, agree sir. totally i think it's coming and i think it's coming quick and i think uh, uh it's going to have a lot of resemblances to what was done to the south in this war but uh, i i did want to jump back with a couple of other points here on blacks in the uh confederate service and uh, have you guys ever heard of this guy named Frederick Douglass? Yes, sir, I do I believe. I do Douglas. believe. I do yes, believe he was black, right? Yes, sir. Well, none other than African American abolitionist Frederick Douglass complained and 
He said, there are many blacks in the Confederate Army who are armed and ready to shoot down Union soldiers, and this is pretty well established. So you folks out there that want to say you're going to have to call Frederick Douglass a liar. So get to it. Uh, Let me see you on tomorrow's news telling everyone that Frederick Douglass was a liar. Well, it's pretty well established that there are uh, many colored men in the Confederate Army doing duty not only as cooks, servants, and laborers, but as real soldiers having muskets on their shoulders and bullets in their pockets, ready to shoot down loyal troops and do all that soldiers may. Now, folks, this was in Stephen Douglas's monthly September 1861, which an online copy is available, and it's at uh, RadicalJournal.com, Essays Fighting Rebels. So take a look. If you don't like the truth, I'm sorry, I can't help you. But in 1895, a former black Union soldier, Christian A. Fleetwood, who had been a sergeant major in the 4th U.S. Colored Troops, acknowledged that the South began using blacks as soldiers long before the Union did. Okay, well, there is a black sergeant major, and we're going to have to call that black man a liar, too, if we conform to the cultural Marxist philosophy. It seems a little singular that in the tremendous struggle between the states in 1861 to 1865, that the South should have been the first to take steps toward enlistment of Negroes. Yet that is the fact. Two weeks after the fall of Fort Sumter, the Charleston Mercury records the passing through Augusta of several companies of the 3rd and 4th Georgia Regiment and of 16 well-drilled companies and one Negro company from Nashville, Tennessee. Now, that, folks, is still in the archives of the Memphis Avalanche and the Memphis Appeal of May 9th, 10th, and 11th, 1861. So, you know, you can go argue with them, too, if you want to. And it says that a committee of safety consisting of three persons to organize a volunteer company composed of our patriotic free men of color of the city of Memphis for the service of our common defense. Unquote. And now let's look at a telegram from New Orleans dated November the 23rd, 1861, and it notes the review by Governor Moore of over 28,000 troops and that one regiment comprised of 1,400 colored men. Now, this was in the New Orleans Picayune, referring to a review that was held on February the 9th, 1862, and it says also, and I quote, We must also pay a deserved compliment to the companies of free colored men, all very well drilled and completely equipped and comfortably equipped. Now, this came from a book by Christian A. Fleetwood called The Negro as a Soldier in Washington, D.C. It was published by Howard University, a black college in 1895, pages five through six. Take a look. In a Union Army battle report, General David Stewart complained about the deadly effectiveness of the black Confederate soldiers whom his troops had encountered. The armed Negroes, he said, did serious execution upon our men. 
Colonel Giles Smith commanded the 1st Brigade and Colonel T. Kilby Smith, the 54th Ohio. And it says, I communicated to these officers General Sherman's orders and charged Colonel Smith, 54th Ohio's, specifically with the duty of clearing away the road to the crossing and getting it into the best condition for effecting our crossing that he possibly could. The work was vigorously pressed under his immediate supervision and orders, and he devoted himself to it with as much energy and activity as any living man could employ. It had to be prosecuted under the fire of the enemy sharpshooters, protected as well as the men might be by our skirmishers on the bank who were ordered to keep up so vigorous a fire that the enemy should not dare to lift their heads above their rifle pits. But the enemy, and especially their armed Negroes, did dare to rise and fire and did serious execution upon our men. The casualties in our brigade were 11 killed, 40 wounded, and 4 missing. Very respectfully, yours and your obedient servant, D. Stewart, Brigadier General, Commanding Report, of the U.S. Army 4th Brigade and 2nd Division in 1862. Folks, you can find that in the official records of the War of the Rebellion in the National Archives and also the Library of Congress, Volume 17, Chapter 29, Part 1. And then there was a letter published in the Indianapolis Star in December 1861. A Union soldier stated that his unit was attacked by black Confederate soldiers. And here is his quote. A body of 700 Confederate Negro infantry opened fire on our men, wounding two lieutenants and two privates. The wounded men testify positively that they were shot by Negroes and that not less than 700 were present, armed with muskets. This is indeed a new feature in our war. We have heard of a regiment of Confederate Negroes at Manassas and another at Memphis and still another at New Orleans, but did not believe it. Till it came so near home and attacked our men. That was a story in the Indianapolis Star in December 23rd of 1861. Then Union soldier James G. Bates wrote a letter to his father that was reprinted in an Indiana newspaper in May of 1863. In the letter, Bates assured his father that there were black Confederate soldiers. And I quote from the letter, I can assure you of a certainty that the rebels have Negro soldiers in their army. One of the best sharpshooters and the boldest of them all here is a Negro. He has dug himself a rifle pit last night, which was the 16th of April, 1863, just across the river, and has been annoying our pickets opposite him very much today. You can see him plain enough with the naked eye, occasionally to make sure that he is a woolly head, and with a spyglass there is no mistaking him. A few months before the war ended, a Union soldier named James Miles of the 185th New York Volunteer Infantry wrote in his diary, and I quote, saw several Negroes fighting for those rebels. That's also in the National Archives, folks. And a Union lieutenant colonel named Parkhurst, who served in the 9th Michigan Infantry, reported that black Confederate soldiers participated in an attack on his camp, And I will quote that, and then I'm going to let these guys talk for a while. The forces attacking my camp were the 1st Regiment Texas Rangers, a battalion of the 1st Georgia Rangers, and quite a number of Negroes attached to the Texas and Georgia troops who were armed and equipped, 
took part in the several engagements with my forces during the day. This comes from a Lieutenant Colonel Parkhurst, 9th Michigan Infantry, on General Nathan Bedford Forrest's attack at Murfreesboro, Tennessee, on July the 13th, 1862. And, folks, that one is in the official records, War of the Rebellion, Series 1, Volume 16, Part 1, page 805. Richard, bail me out here, buddy. I've been running my mouth too long. Not at all. But it, it, it is very uh, surprising, you know, to hear just how much documented uh, account, uh, well, how many documented accounts. I mean, most people, again, they don't have the impression that it was mostly men who didn't even own any slaves who were fighting. And what's more, that there were a lot of blacks on the side of the South Again, that's it wasn't about slavery. I, I mean, it's just the fact that slavery was uh, getting phased out. And, uh, you know, a couple states were great examples you cited earlier today. There's just, yeah, just so much that would destroy the, well, the, the optics, you know, the, I mean, the current uh, narrative. Is it's something where I mentioned the Charlottesville uh, incident, you know, and I, I do think it was a setup, uh, engineered setup. Oh, it was. To, yeah, yeah, to reinforce everything regarding Southerners as being affiliated with, um, well, this insistence on second class citizenry for blacks or, uh, you know, just hate filled uh, beliefs. And, you know, yeah, there's just so much that shows uh, the contrary. And I do really, again, have to echo what Stephen said earlier, that, I mean, these Southerners were men uh, fighting to get back their, their what, well, their, their land and, uh, you know, rights to self-determination, if I were to ad lib, uh, and had men who were invaders, who were living on their land uh, with slaves, didn't represent, by and large, the Southern stock, you know, the populace. Oh, very well said, Richard. Stephen, jump in here. Unmute. Yeah, they were men. I mean, men of color come defend Memphis. It, it, was that? Did I hear that correctly? Yes, sir. Did I say, you know, uh, they were men who often, it seems, chose to fight uh for their families with the Confederacy. Think of that their families had a better future if the Confederacy survived than if the invader took over. They didn't go and willingly join up with the, with the invader, but many times the invader forced them to and then, exter or, and then did refuse to pay them or even put them in camps and exterminated them. That happened, okay? That's what happened to these people. I was looking, like I said, at uh, <clears throat> this thing that Jefferson Davis had said there was back in 1848 this 
person in New York, Dix, says that a speech, he claims that the free blacks were going to continue to be an inferior caste and they'll simply die out. Uh, this was a, a New York senator. And then Jefferson Davis now, I was going to read this and not even tell who said it, but he says, with surprise and horror, I heard this announcement of a policy which seeks through poverty and degradation the extinction of a race of human beings domesticated among us. We, sir, stand in such a relation to that people as creates a feeling of kindness and protection. We have attachments which have grown with us from childhood to the old servant who nursed us in infancy, to the man who was the companion of our childhood, and the not less tender regard for those who have been reared under our protection. To hear their extinction treated as a matter of public policy or of speculative philosophy arouses our sympathy and our indignation. And, you know, just... They, they were not that they, they people that this he people wanted to, to emancipate. There was the other one that Davis himself said in the U.S. Senate chamber. There is a relation belonging to this species of property. He said he called them a species of property, but unlike that of the apprentice or the hired man, which awakens whatever there is of kindness or of nobility or of soul in the heart of him who owns it, this can only be alienated, obscured, or destroyed by collecting this species of property in such masses that the owner is not personally acquainted with the individuals who compose it. <clears throat> in, in the relation, the mere domestic connection of one, two, or at the most half a dozen servants in a family associating with the children as they grow up, attending upon ages it declines for this is the high road and the open gate to the condition in which the master would from interest in a few years that desire the emancipation of everyone that they wanted these people to be free not exterminated in their heart okay that's they they and they were not they, even that that's the ones that almost had no ownership at all they were just you know people you know it was just something that happened around them and it was not necessary to import them anymore as you said that that they they were replacing themselves so this thing was engineered to be fought it was like a it was a a real estate acquisition operation is how Catherine Austin Fitz put the side the the, the the George Floyd thing well you know so was this in a way you know just yeah that's that's what this was it's been going on a long time and it gets infuriating sometimes to see it but you know i i am sick of the the south being so misrepresented even though you know th they were human beings then just like we are now some were trying to do the right thing and some weren't you know i can well, do the best i can yes sir no, very good and i i really applaud the work that you continue to do Stephen. i do here is another point that I don't think we've talked about. There, Yes, there were blacks in the Confederate Army. But here's the thing that I think most people just, you know, we can say, oh, that didn't happen. Yeah, well, that's fine. But the official records say different. But one of the things when I started through, and I'm holding one of those volumes of the official records in my hand right now, because there is something I wanted to touch on, and that is also the way that the blacks, the slave population in the South, was treated by the Union Army. Now, I don't think, and this is in the official records, I had never seen this before until I saw it at the National Archives. And here is just, I want to just go over a short point here. I hope I can read it fast enough. Major General David Hunter 
Department of the South, Hilton Head, South Carolina, on May the 8th of 1862, advised Brigadier General Isaac I. Stevens, commanding post at Beaufort, uh, Port Royal Island, and I quote, I am authorized by the War Department to form the Negroes into squads, companies, or otherwise, as I may deem most beneficial to the public service. I have concluded to enlist two regiments. Obediently, General Stevens, 2nd Brigade Northern District, Department of the South, on May the 11th, ordered in a circular, and I quote, In accordance with orders of Major General Hunter, the several agents or overseers of plantations will send to Beaufort tomorrow, or Beaufort, whichever way you want to pronounce it, tomorrow morning, every able-bodied Negro between the ages of 18 and 45 capable of bearing arms. Secretary of the Treasury Salmon P. Chase on May the 21st sent to Secretary of War Edward M. Stanton various papers about the state of affairs on Port Royal Island, including the following correspondence. Now, this comes from Edward L. Pierce, Special Agent, U.S. Treasury Department, Port Royal, on May the 12th. He wrote to Chase, quote, This has been a sad day on these islands. The scenes of today have been distressing. Some 500 men were hurried from Ladies and St. Helena to Beaufort, at Ladies Island, and then carried to Hilton Head. The Negroes were sad. The superintendents aided the military in the disagreeable affair, disavowing the act. Sometimes whole plantations, learning what was going on, ran off into the woods for refuge. Others, with no means of escape, submitted passively to the inevitable decree. This mode of enlistment by violent seizure and transportation, spreading dismay and fright, is repugnant to the very soul. Unquote. Now, what's the difference in slavery? Yeah, okay. All right, let's continue. I want to get this finished. Wailing and screaming. The next day at Pope's Plantation, St. Helena Island, Pierce wrote to General Hunter, and he said, and I quote, Scenes transpiring today in the execution of your order. The colored people become suspicious of the presence of the companies of soldiers detailed for the service who were marching through the islands during the night. They were taken from the fields without being allowed to go to their homes even to get a jacket. There was sadness in all. As those on this plantation were called in from the fields, the soldiers under orders and while on the steps of my headquarters loaded their guns so that the Negroes might see what would take place in case they attempted to get away. Be back on the other side. I hear that music.
are tuned in to the Republic Broadcasting Network. Visit our website by going to republicbroadcasting.org. Are you one of the millions of people who feel like there is a dark cloud hanging over their heads whenever they're using pharmaceutical drugs? For some, the short-term relief can turn into an opioid addiction nightmare. Have you ever wondered why CBD oil is a billion-dollar industry? It's because it works better than opioids and is actually healthy for you. However, CBD oil is stripped of all other helpful compounds found in the hemp plant. According to neuroscientists, the whole hemp plant, otherwise known as hemp paste, is even more effective than the chemically processed CBD oil. Are you ready to take back your health? You can try hemp paste for the price of a cup of coffee. Hemppaste.com slash RBN. Free shipping on orders over $50. See the banners for Hemp Paste at republicbroadcasting.org and visit hemppaste.com slash RBN. People often write to tell us what has happened for them since starting Extendivite. Allow me to read one. This product has been a godsend for my father, who suffered from a heart attack about two years ago. He was prescribed medications for his condition, which was so serious, he almost died. But he hasn't been able to afford most of the medications. After researching alternatives that were more affordable, he tried Extendivite. Since taking it, he has consistently lower blood pressure and experiences less angina. We are currently on our fifth bottle. I enthusiastically recommend this product, and I am grateful that it is available. To order, call 1-877-928-8822 or visit Extendivite.com. That's X-T-E-N-D-O-V-I-T-E dot com. Extend your life with Extendovite. I'm so excited to have you as part of the Wild Pastures family, and we look forward to bringing you the pastures meats that you and your family will love. Now, we started Wild Pastures because so many of my clients would tell me they just couldn't find high-quality pastures meats, and even when they did, it was so expensive that they couldn't afford to eat it regularly. Now, I'm not talking about the bottom-of-the-barrel healthy meats that have claims like natural or free-range or even cage-free, terms that were actually created by the industrial food industry to make us feel all warm and fuzzy about buying their low-quality products. I'm talking about truly nourishing pasture-raised meats, the kind that you'll never really find in a grocery store. Our farmers are doing things beyond organic. Our beef is 100% grass-fed and grass-finished and raised on pastures free from chemicals and other pesticides. Our chickens are 100% pasture-raised, where they get their natural diet of grass and forage and insects. We will never settle for free-range, which is actually one of the most deceptive terms in the chicken industry. In fact, less than 0.1% of the chicken consumed in the United States is truly pasture-raised in the way that ours is. And our pork is 100% pasture-raised as well. So if you care about where your food comes from, then you've definitely made it to the right place. As a Wild Pastures member, you'll be supporting the most highly principled farmers in America and getting the most nutrient-dense, nourishing, and sustainable meats in the world. I'm confident you'll love being part of our mission at Wild Pastures, and you will really love the delicious, nourishing meats that we're going to deliver straight to your door. Visit republicbroadcasting.org 
and click the Wild Pastures banner ad. Secure a shipment today. Beef, poultry, and pork. Raised the way nature intended. the renegades and i just want to get this part finished uh from this volume of the official records of the war of the rebellion and these are yankee compiled notes the confederacy had nothing to do with it so uh i just wanted to finish about what was happening on the islands surrounding uh south carolina during this time and I'm going to go back just a little bit to uh, reconnect. And it was, there was sadness and all. As those on this plantation were called in from the fields, the soldiers under orders and while on the steps of my headquarters loaded their guns so that the Negroes might see what would take place in case they attempted to get away. On some plantations, the wailing and the screaming were loud and the women threw themselves in despair on the ground. On some plantations, the people took to the woods and were hunted down by the soldiers. I doubt if the recruiting service in this country has ever been attended with such scenes before. And at this time, G.M. Wells, superintendent of plantations for the Union, and Mrs. Jenkins' plantation, St. Helena Island, wrote to Pierce. And here is the quote. This conscription, together with the manner of its execution, has created a suspicion that the government has not the interest in the Negroes that it claims and professes. And many of them sighed yesterday and wished for the old fetters of plantation slavery because they've said that it had to be better than this new liberty, unquote. Now, Here's another one. Uh, on May 13th, L.D. Phillips at Dr. at Dr. Pope's plantation also wrote to Pierce, and here is what he had to say. The whole village, old men, women, and boys, in tears, were following at our heels. The wives and mothers of the conscripts, giving away to their feelings, break into the loudest lamentations and rush upon the men, clinging to them with the agony of separation. Some of them setting up such a shrieking as only these people can. They throw themselves on the ground and abandon themselves to the wildest expressions of grief. The old foreman at Indian Hill said it reminded him of what his master said we should do. I have heard several contrast the present state of things with their former condition to our disadvantage. This rude separation of husband and wife, children and parents must needs remind them of what we have always stigmatized as the worst feature of slavery. Never in my judgment did Major General fall into a sadder blunder and rarely 
has humanity been outraged by an act of more unfeeling barbarity? Unquote. Now, one short paragraph, and I'm finished here, and then I want you guys to whack it up here. Here's the last one. Five and a half months later, on October the 29th, Brigadier General Rufus Saxton in Beaufort informed Secretary of War Edwin Stanton, and I quote, When the colored regiment was first organized by General Hunter, no provision was made for its payment, and the men were discharged after several months of service, receiving absolutely nothing for their service. In the meantime, their families suffered terribly. This failure to pay them for their service has weakened their confidence in all of our promises for the future and makes them slow to enlist, unquote. So, uh, Richard, your thoughts, sir? Well, yes, no, again, just a lot of information that is completely unknown to most people influencing their view. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. That's uh, well, if you only see one side of the fence, you don't know what's on the other one, right? Yes, yes, indeed. And especially if that fence is a fence of lies, it, uh, you know, it kind of hides the truth. But uh, you mentioned before uh, hate, Richard, and I was thinking as I was reading that I would have it would I would have hated to have watched what was being done to those poor blacks by the Union Army. And then they were taken off for months away from their family and paid nothing. Now, how is that not slavery? By the very concept. Stephen? Yeah, it, it, and it is, and it's also hijacking what was left of the agricultural industrial base of society here and, and leaving it to... Uh, um, die and uh, on the vine or then be exterminated you know just to wipe us out it was it was a it was a war of extermination the first uh, <clears throat> first Bolshevik revolution I think that took place here it was repeated again in Russia well guys a few weeks ago probably over a month now I gave a program to a Sons of Confederate Veterans uh, unit in Fayetteville, Georgia. And it was held at the County Historical Society. And they had a shelf there, uh, shelves of books and source materials and all of this stuff. I want to go up there and do some research. But the one thing I noticed is they had a complete shelf of the War of the Rebellion. All of these books that the... Uh, Historical Society, the lady told me, she said, we've probably had those close to 50, 60 years. And I asked the lady who was in charge, I said, how many of, how many people come in and read those books? And she said, I haven't seen one in at least five or six years. So here is all of that information that they actually have in the Historical Society. You know, if I was a teacher... Or if I was a college professor in that area, I would be going through that stuff. But they don't. And that that is is very troubling to me. Uh, So, uh, you know, guys, I hope in some small way that we have honored Thomas Jonathan Jackson here 
tonight and the cause of the Confederacy and tried to expose some of the lies uh, that uh, people are fed on a constant basis. And uh, Richard, uh, tell us uh, what about your week uh, pursuing beyond the official narrative. Uh, What have you learned this week, sir? Oh, that's uh, an interesting uh, question this week in particular. I had discovered just how much um, people don't want to hear, you know, the real uh, assessment of of things as as they currently stand. Uh, What we're up against, the likelihood of... uh, change from some hero figure as opposed to change that you initiate yourself and, and in your local communities. Just, I don't know uh, if you can be, people can be very black pilled by the people like us who, who try to dedicate their time to this independent media. It's, I don't know. It's very comforting. Uh, for people to accept something that's widely uh, accepted by the people around them and the establishment, and which doesn't really challenge, you know, and, and anything that they've uh, grown up with, because they have to reassess a lot of other things if a bit of their history or a bit of their notions uh, needed to be altered with the facts they weren't presented with most of their life most people don't want to really um, bother with that they just want bread and circus uh, well i can't argue with that and uh, you know i i think uh, you know you get uh, uh, you have an everyday show and i just think that's fantastic i try to t- tune in whenever i can and uh, i think it's it's very interesting especially you know considering the title of your show pursuing that uh, let's go beyond the lies we're told and let's search for truth that's why i love the name of your show and uh i think you do an excellent job i think uh there's a lot to be proud of at rbn of, of folks like you and uh, my buddy Stephen here and uh, well let's ask mr thought crime himself uh how many thought crimes he committed this past week at least one a day. I don't oh. know. I try to have one a day, you know. <laughs> well, I forgot. Am I supposed to read you your rights before I ask you that question? I don't. Oh, man. Anything I might wish to say has already <laughs> been uh, uh, created by AI to be used against me. That's 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 what it, well, it's going to boil down to pretty soon, probably. Oh, yes. But, yeah. Hey, I wanted to shout out to our sponsor, the Dixie Republic, too. The Dixie oh, Republic. big time. Calm, y'all. RBN, if you're in Travelers Rest, South Carolina, or if you're online right now listening to us, just go to DixieRepublic.com and get you one uh, a pretty shirt or something if you don't win that, that uh, quilt that's up for raffle. And, uh, yeah, you know, it can be black pilling. Look at all this. I was thinking about how that is today but the only thing i have any real control over is me and what i do and i try to to learn more uh, speak the truth and and if people won't don't want to hear it that's fine you know i can't beat them over the head i uh, uh, something paul said was i have to can't go giving steak to somebody that's been fed on uh milk and cereal you know like baby you know can't just give them steak to chew on have to 
and, and I can't make them want to have anything else either. If that's all they're going to want to eat, you know, they ain't got no teeth to chew it with. So that's if some of <laughs> some folks do it, some folks don't. That's just what it boils down to. What an analogy. I, I was just looking at, uh, you know, my conversation with Paul earlier today, and he said, uh, I told him that we were having this program tonight, and he says, sounds great. And he said, the next event uh, here at the Dixie Republic is uh, our annual arm wrestling contest in April. And he said, oh, if awesome. anything, he said, if anything comes up before the Dixie Fest, I'll be sure and let you know. And uh, I told him, I said, uh, Paul, uh, you, uh, you know, are a good man, uh, you know, a leader in the cause of righteousness. And I appreciate all that you do. And he, of course, you know, answered as I expected. He said, you humble me. Do you have a specific theme you would think about which would make a good event at Dixie Republic? And he said, what month would be good? So we're going to be talking about that along with our old buddy James Edwards, uh, you know, the political cesspool guy. Uh, And uh, so I don't know, uh, just to get a short synopsis, you guys, both very intelligent men, and uh, just trying to jump from Civil War, blacks in uniform, blacks being mistreated by the Union Army, and a lot of other things. But, uh, Richard, do you have any kind of prognostication for this upcoming year? I mean, here we are in January. Uh, do you What do you see from your studies that we may be looking at as we advance through the year? Well, I could see more... Uh, events which try to cast the uh, whole MAGA movement in a a negative light. I mean, it's not so much Donald Trump. I mean, some in the establishment may benefit. Uh, Some think he'd be a much better wartime president than Biden, for that matter, as a figurehead, uh, you know, keeping people engaged. And at least uh, in some sort of uh, a willing a cognitive uh, sort of dissonance, but it's not really uh, very likely that we're that we're going to see the, the the full face of tyranny. I'd say because we have the election at the end of the year. Uh, Scorpio is pointing that out. I mean, like with, with the economy, um, even. The war situation could be more likely to escalate, I'd say, after November. But certainly, I think this year could have uh, some engineered incidents uh, to tarnish, you know, a couple of perspectives. I mean, because uh, there are a lot of issues with the Trump um, supporters. You know, I mean, what his supporters stand for, such as immigration and traditionalist lifestyles, family lifestyles, you know, not wanting to destroy the nuclear family or, or Christianity. I mean, you know, there's so much far, there's so much far left communism in the school system and the media, and they will try to make it the norm. And, and, and Trump's base represents a pushback against that. So they, they, they want to they want to have something that will tarnish further, you know, uh, the, the people who represent those things. So I, I expect another engineered incident or two along those lines. Um, it's I, I, didn't we have the actual melting down of the, the, the Robert E. Lee statue uh, so it's like you know these people want to send a message that our 
our nation as we knew it is over. And, uh, you know, that, that, that tarnishing further the, the image of, of Trump would, um, his, his base would, would certainly do that. I, I don't know about on the uh, pandemic front, but we're hearing about this disease X, you know, that, that they're certainly, uh, and that would help course with the 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 election fraud it's not so much trump would save us but you know it's so in our face of this past time and uh yeah well okay i'll ta- i'll toss it over to steven all right steven go ahead buddy wow i think they're definitely it's going to be more at least threatened war especially uh, beyond Ukraine, between there and the Baltics, they cut out the GPS thing, uh, uh, the signal, jammed it, doing a lot of uh, like the biggest uh, drills. It's uh, the Cold War. NATO's got 90,000 troops through May, and that's really seems to be reaching a peak because, uh, you know, Ukraine's not getting any more money. They cut the checks off. Uh, uh, and, you know, I guess they got all of the uh, yachts they wanted there in Monte Carlo or whatever. The, the, the shift is that there's going to be a shift somehow. I think that they will ramp up the war somehow. And so many times that's done just for political ends, you know, because LBJ was losing and, um, uh, the polls and and they were going to ramp up in Vietnam. It looking bad because of Vietnam in the polls and all. And then we're going to ramp this war up over uh, in the Middle East there with the liberty and all back in '67. Well, you know, uh, Biden looking really bad. I don't know. It's obvious that if anybody was to run, I see no political solutions. You know, it's the the person the. The commander-in-chief is not really that president. He is not picking foreign policy or directing military efforts the way you might think he is. I do not believe that anymore. Not have it for some time. <clears throat> you know, I don't know how long it's been that bad, but, you know, it seems like there's always a handler there. That's Well, Stephen, I got a yes, question. Sir. Go ahead. If you, if you were down the road and uh, you were going working on something and – Wendy called you and said, Stephen, there's people breaking into my house, breaking into our house. There's people here breaking into our house. Would you stay at work? No. Well, this is the thing I have talked about, and and you know. I don't know if Richard knows. I was heavily involved in the Minuteman Project in 2005 on the Arizona border. I was one of the leaders of the Minuteman Project, as a matter of fact. And one of the things I said back then, and I still, and this, all of this stuff about building a wall, that's so much horse crap. Because here's what you do. If your country is in danger and you've got people coming into the country and you don't know who they are, you bring your forces from wherever they are and bring them home to protect the home. You don't leave the military all fighting somewhere 3,000, 4,000, 5,000 miles away when your borders are wide open. It didn't it wouldn't take a wall. A wall wouldn't work anyway. But let me, you know, we go all the way back to Reagan and him pardoning give him a pardon. After that, if if we had any uh, government that actually cared about this, as a matter of fact, I think our government's engineering this invasion by foreigners, but Here is the point. If we would have taken, you know, the military and put it on our southern border, we wouldn't have to worry about immigration. 
Yes, sir. And let me point out that if you continue to do this while your home is being broken into like that, you know, your military is not um, uh, doing what it's being. You're told that it's uh, um, designed for or that uh, that it's there for. It ain't serving your interest. And, you know, and Wendy would be really mad at me. You know what I mean? And we well, I would hope, just I'd hope mad. when you got and there. We ought to be just as mad as them as she would be at me if I just stayed at work and said, eh, you know. Well, that's something I have never understood. We have a military. We put billions and billions and billions of dollars into a military and leave our borders wide open. That is the height of insanity. And then especially, you know, I almost threw up my meal one day when I was sitting listening to George W. Bush. And he said, well, we got to fight him over there so we don't have to fight him over here. Well, you're not fighting him over here, buddy. Nobody else is. Well, here's that music, guys. I can't thank you enough, uh, Stephen, Richard. You guys are fantastic. And I hope Scorpio's well. And folks, support RBN. We shall see you next week. God bless.
listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network. Because you can handle the truth.